I'm Margaret Feinberg, and this is the Joycast. Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of The Joycast, the hap, hap, happiest half hour of your week. As always, I'm your host, Margaret Feinberg, author of Taste and See, discovering God among butchers, bakers, and fresh food makers. I'm also the one who once stuck a butternut squash in a waffle iron to see what would happen. In case you're wondering, nothing good came of that. As humans, God has designed us to need to eat with regularity. That means God calls us time and time again back to vulnerability, to look each other in the eyes and share who we really are. Of course, we can't talk about vulnerability these days without mentioning its patron saint, Brene Brown. Brene defines vulnerability as, quote, uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. It's what happens when we quite literally bear our souls to one another. Brene goes on to say that vulnerability sits at the center of all meaningful human experiences. Without it, we rob ourselves of so many other important virtues. If we cannot be vulnerable, we will struggle to be courageous. If we cannot be vulnerable, we will struggle to be compassionate. If we cannot be vulnerable, we will struggle to truly connect with each other. In the social media age, we are pressured to craft facades of perfection, a perfect life, a perfect job, a perfect wardrobe, a perfect body. In other words, the 21st century is an exceedingly difficult time to nurture vulnerability. One of the greatest pictures of vulnerability in all of human history was none other than Jesus, born as a helpless infant choosing to set aside his power to become human and walk among us, refusing to fight back when placed on trial, and ultimately dying a criminal's death when he stretched out his arms and willingly gave himself up for us. To become vulnerable is literally to become Christ-like, to offer all of who we are to anyone who needs it. As 2 Corinthians 12.9 says, God's power is perfected in our weakness. When we refuse to pretend that we are strong or perfect, we open the floodgates to the power of God in our lives. But the path to vulnerability is not for the faint of heart. It requires sharing things that we'd rather not share, opening up the most tender parts of ourselves to others, and even more frightening, stepping into uncertainty. For in vulnerability, there is no guaranteed outcome. Will we be accepted or rejected, harmed or healed? I don't know about you, but in my own life, some of my most vulnerable moments have happened at mealtimes. Gathered among the people I trust, the table becomes a safe place, a safe space. Those are the places that I share my fears of being a failure or a fraud. It's where I share my audacious dreams that I may never achieve. It's where I confess my secrets and pain. I've received the gift of vulnerability from others more times than I can count. Because of its centrality, we cannot talk about the joy of the table without talking about vulnerability. Now, someone who knows and does vulnerability so well is my friend, Jamie Ivey. She's author of If You Only Knew. 
And she points out that guarding our stories and struggles comes at a cost. It's exhausting. It robs us of connection with others, and it unintentionally blocks the beauty of God's grace. On the other hand, she says transparency brings freedom. So if you're someone who struggles to risk, to trust, to allow yourself to be known, you can't afford to miss this rich conversation. So pull up a chair at our table. Hey, Jamie, I am so glad to have you on the Joycast today. Oh my gosh, I am so happy to be with you, Margaret. This is so fun. It is. It is so fun. And one of the things I love about you is you are just like this living party everywhere you go. And the laughter and the joy and the jokes, it is just every time I see you, you've always got this great smile and it is contagious. Well, I'll take that. I think I might add that to my bio, living party. I like that. (laughs) (laughs) So you have this um, incredible book you've written. And one of the things that I think that is challenging for all of us is when we gather around the table is to bring our whole selves. I think there's this temptation that we bring forward the versions of ourselves that we think will be maybe the most likable or the most acceptable to others. And meanwhile, maybe uh, the marriage is on the rocks. Um, but when you and your spouse show up for a, a dinner party, uh, you look like you're trying to live this fairy tale love. Or maybe for others, maybe you're trapped in that that deep sense of depression, but you manage to plaster a smile on your face when you're out with friends. And so, Jamie, what I wanted to hear from you and learn from you from is this idea of how do we bring our whole self to the table when we're surrounded by people that we love, but also would maybe when we're at in pain or hurting. Gosh, this is like everyone's like deepest desires to be fully known. You know, we want to be known. We want the people around us to know us and to know what's really happening. But I think what happens first, Margaret, is we're afraid of what they're, how they're going to react to that. Like, how will people react if I tell them that my marriage is struggling? How will they react if I tell them that, you know, my son's an addict? How will they react if I tell them that I'm cheating on all my taxes? I mean, just all the things that we just feel like, what will someone do? And so one of my things that I always am telling people is building those relationships where the people around you, so like the people in my life, the people in your life, that they really love God so much that whatever I bring to the table, they're going to see it through the lens of, okay, so we all have things that we're struggling with. I do, she does, and she just laid something on the table. How can we How can we be entrusted with this pain? Like, how can we be entrusted here? And so I think the first thing, and this doesn't fall on the person that's trying to share, is just to develop those relationships that are so safe that you could say anything. Um, I was with some friends last night, and they were telling me, we were talking about what a lot of conversations happen about today. Social media, how can we look, you look so fake online, you know, all the things. But they were telling me that one of their friends ended up getting a divorce and they were friends with her and they never knew the pain she was going through until she said, we're getting a divorce. And that struck me as such a tragedy, like such a tragedy that a couple of things, number one, that that relationship did not feel safe enough. Um, And then number two is that she didn't feel as though she could go to her friends and talk. And so, man, I just think that that vulnerability is something that's built. It's something that is built upon. It is a two-way street in relationships. Uh, and so I, I know what that feels like to be so afraid to say something that what are they going to think? But I have I have stepped out on faith so many times and I've been hurt before, but I've stepped out on faith so many times and seen that on the other side of that vulnerability, on the other side of that honesty 
it's where like healing comes from. It's where the friendship was deep into a level that it never would have gone had I just kept this inside of me. And so I'm the first to say this is hard. This is super hard. I mean, <laughs> this is so very hard to put ourselves out there because there is that chance that it's going to go bad. There is that chance that that person's not going to see you the same. There is that chance that that person is going to think, wow, I would have never expected to hear Jamie say that. She is way less of a, you know, quote unquote, good person than I thought she was. And so I understand the risk, but I also say the reward on the other side is so much better. You know, in, in Taste and See, I touch upon that idea of gathering on the table and that we long for what's more than just on the menu. It's, it's not, I mean, of course we want incredible food, but we want to know and to be known to experience healing and to experience a fullness of joy. Um, that's not just in our bellies, but it's alive in our hearts. And yet finding those safe communities, um, I've, I've lived in places where it's just been hard to, to create that. What do you say to the person and the listener who is, who has tried to reach out and is just not not finding those people? What practical steps, tips do you have for that person to 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 locate people who they can enter into those relationships with? Yeah, I think it's like the biggest question when you tell people, "Hey, you need to be vulnerable." The next question is, "How do I find those people? Like, how do I find those people that who I can trust with?" I think some of my best relationships that I've built have been relationships that I've served alongside with. And so mm. I think it's um, when people are serving and doing something together, they build a bond that happens organically. It happens because they both have the same mission. So whatever that looks like, wherever you can find yourself serving, whether that is the soup kitchen or your local church or your kid's PTA, whatever that looks like, those were those, 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 you know, equal-minded serving ideas happen that can build friendships. Um, the other thing I always say, Margaret, and this is this is hard because this is where the risk comes in as well, well, is I really believe that vulnerability breeds vulnerability. And so if you and I are out to coffee and I'm feeling like, man, I think I'm going to let Margaret into this struggle that I've been having and and I become vulnerable with you, then all of a sudden you've seen, wow, this is a safe place. Jamie's willing to go here. Therefore, it gives you the opportunity to also become vulnerable with me. And so as scary as it is, I think finding relationships where they feel safe, sometimes it just takes that step of becoming vulnerable first. And then that opens up the door for the relationship to go to another level, to go to a level where there's there's equal trust, there's equal vulnerability, there's equal people, there's equal sides of people going, hey, I trust you so much with my story. And the person receiving that says, I'm going to handle it really carefully. I'm going to hold your story and hold your pain and I'm going to handle it carefully and I'm going to love you through it. And so sometimes as hard as it is, finding those relationships require us to kind of step out of our comfort zone and become vulnerable with somebody on the other side. And in that vulnerability, let me ask one of the things, and I'm sure you've experienced this, and the worst part is I do it. And I'm so mad at myself when I do it. But there is this tendency, I think it's in all of us, to want to try to fix it. Yes, yes, because we're friends and we want to see our friends like succeed and we want to see them happy and we don't want to see them in pain. And so, you know, like like you doing this podcast, on my podcast, I get to hear a lot of people's stories. And that's one of my favorite questions to ask someone who's been through something really difficult is what was the best thing that people did for you? And you know what I hear all the time, Margaret? It's that they, they didn't try to solve my problem. They didn't try to fix me. They didn't try to solve my problem. They listened. They listened. They listened. And so I think it's important. And again, you get into a point, you know, all circumstances are different, but you sit and you listen and there might be a time where you can offer advice. And, and I think that's needed and it's good and, and pointing people to, to the truth, the real truth that can help them. But I think at first our tendency is to try to just kind of jump in and say, here's how I think you can do or here's how to fix it. And I think we need to close our mouths a little bit and just listen and just be, just sit with someone and be. 
And it's a discipline. It's a discipline to hold our tongues. It is a discipline. What, what words do you kind of keep in your, in your mind? You know, when, when you're listening and you really want to jump in and, and what do you say to yourself in that moment to, to keep listening and be a listener? Yeah, I think I've just reminded myself of what I have needed in those moments. You know, we've all been on the other side. And so what have you needed? What have you wanted? Um, one of my things that I can easily say when someone's sharing something and, and man, you just take this. And if you only say two words, you can just say, I'm sorry. Like, I'm sorry that you're going through that. I'm sorry that this happened to you. I'm sorry that you're feeling this way. I'm sorry that you're struggling with this. Even if it's self-inflicted, even if someone's coming to you and saying, Hey, I think I'm an, I think I'm an addict. Like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that this is what you're walking through. I'm sorry that you're struggling with this. I think some people who are coming to the table vulnerable and they wanted to, to be known. And so they're, they're inviting you into that pain or that struggle. They really want to know if you care. They really want to know, are they even going to care when I say this out loud? And, you know, I think when I told you that story about the friends last night, they were telling me about their friend getting a divorce. You know, one of the saddest things for me is, is that that friend, maybe she thought they didn't care or maybe she thought they wouldn't understand because their marriage looks perfect. Or maybe they thought that they would try to talk her out of it or whatever it is. There's just always this tension when someone's having to bring forward something is that they have these preconceived idea notions of what you're going to say. Um, and I just try to come back with, man, I'm just sorry you're going through that. I'm really sorry. Because I think that means a lot. What about the balance of oversharing? And and I think one of the things where, places that I see it online and, you know, talk about this and write about it a lot is this sense of you can say too much, especially in an online forum. And I know we're largely talking about around a table, but, but on social media, it can become this point where you, it's almost, it's, it's not, it crosses a line between vulnerability and just almost emotional vomit. How, how do you navigate that? What advice do you have for people who maybe on an online kind of table setting to navigate that where, where you're being vulnerable? but not sharing too much. What guidelines, suggestions do you have? Oh, you know, you you can see it when you know it when you see it, right? You just think, wow, you are just vomiting all over the place and it's not looking good for you right now. Um, I think oversharing online is not a pretty sight to be seen. For me, I, I, I know the thing is, you know, both you and I have public places that we share. We, we have podcasts, we write books, we speak, we, we have this public place. But I know in my own heart, even in public sharing, my vulnerability always has to have an end. It always has to have a point in mind. And for me, if I'm being vulnerable in a public platform, some guidelines for me are, is this helpful for somebody? Is this helpful for somebody? Is this going to point people to Jesus? I think about that often. Um, you know, I'm a really big fan of being vulnerable with real people that you can touch and feel and see and hug and wipe tears and smile at. I think that that is when that's when lives are changed and hearts are changed. Uh, so for me, I'm going to, I really, really lean away from publicly uh, vulnerable vomiting unless there's like an, a means to the end. So, you know, I'm pretty vulnerable. I wrote a book about, you know, things in my past. But I wrote that with a purpose of pointing people to Jesus and with the purpose of showing how God changed my life through that. And so, you know, I think being vulnerable in the moment of struggles, some people can do that really well. I, I'm not comfortable with that. And so I kind of guard myself from that because it would turn into this like vomit online where you wouldn't even know it was happening. And everyone would be like, Jamie needs some real big help right now. Like she might need to be committed somewhere, you know? So I save that to my people in my circle because they can make they can make that decision on how far how far I've gone. But so 
I just think, man, do you have a purpose in your sharing? Is it just for everyone to look at you and feel sorry for you? Because I think that's not okay. And that that is someone who is really, really searching um, for attention, for affection to be known. And I really think that those feelings and those needs can be met and fulfilled within real relationships. And so again, I'm not against public stuff. I do my life in the public, but I really am guarded about, do I have an intention? Do I have a point? What What is my goal with sharing this? I'm with you 100%. The question I always ask is, where's the redemption? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Where's the healing? Where is the the gift? Where's the way through? And if that is part of it, I will leverage the pain and the loss and the story and the gruesomeness for that. But but apart from that, it's not a gift to the world. I think it's 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 contributing to to something else. I think public uh, vulnerability is sometimes a really big cry for help, but that there's not a community around you of people. And so for me to publicly be vulnerable and ask for help online in something that's pretty vulnerable, I'm bypassing what God has already set up for me, which is my community of people. And so I think we need to really also think about, have I bypassed the real people in my life to go online for um, affection, affirmation, advice. So I think you can keep that in mind as well. Have I bypassed the people in my life? And I also think back to what you mentioned earlier, that idea of service. I know uh, at our church, one of the things I do is I help with teardown. We still do set up teardown in our uh, in our community. And so I help with teardown. And I can tell the people who kind of share a similar heart or passion in that community by the people who are also stacking the chairs you know, collecting the the items, rearranging the room. And those are the people who I start to lean into. And even as we're folding a curtain together, you know, sitting there and having those conversations and beginning to share our hearts and recognize we have the same passions. And so I think finding those people in real life to be friends with, to build those, again, I think service is, as you said, just such a powerful way to do that. Yeah, it is. Um, talk to me a minute, and I know you write about this, this idea that an individual honesty can actually lead to a collective honesty. Yeah. I think that sometimes when we are, you know, honest with our, with ourselves, honest with what we're going through, what we're struggling through, honest with our, our need for Jesus, I think sometimes we can get people who have been, um, a part of a local church or a Christian for a long time. We can, somehow, this is crazy to me, we can forget how much we need Jesus. And so uh, I think becoming honest with ourselves can bring um, an honesty within a family, within an organization, within a ministry, within a church body. You know, I, I think one of the greatest things that churches can do for each other is to create a place of honesty. And that, and in my opinion, that comes from the top down. And so I think that when we see a an individual person being honest, whether that's a pastor, a worship leader, a community group leader, a deacon, an el- whatever, you know, a teardown leader, whoever that might be, when we see the the honesty and the vulnerability that's coming from their life, it overflows into the to the majority. So it overflows into the ministry, into the group, into the church, into the home, into the relationships. And I think that we've all seen that. We've seen that happen. We've seen someone um, be honest and vulnerable, and it makes us feel as though we can do the same thing. And so it creates a culture almost of people who are willing to say, here's my brokenness, here's my need for Jesus, here's how he's redeemed me. So I, I, I love seeing that because it keeps us on that whole cycle of of um, admitting our failures, admitting our need for Jesus, seeing him fulfill that, seeing our redemption, and then offering that to the world. 
and bringing so much joy to one another. I mean, there is, it's a shared joy and it is contagious. And having a safe place, having people, we have um, some friends. I also do this with my husband and, and we have a magic phrase and it's, and we say, I just need to vent. And at that moment, after those words are said, you can say, anything, no judgment. And it's just safe to allow what is stirring inside to come out, to be heard, and then hopefully to be able to move beyond it and to heal quickly rather than stirring and going on the negative ruminations spiral downward. So I think having those people in our life that that you can vent, that you can but but that's not if it's done there in a safe place among just a few, then it doesn't have to be spread out among the many. Totally. So in this, there is a flip side to honesty, and that is um, sometimes we're honest, we share, we're vulnerable, we build that community. And I know in my life this has happened, but sometimes betrayal happens. And maybe we were the ones who who put ourselves out and put ourselves out. We felt like the other person was putting ourselves out. And then there's that moment when when they turn, maybe, maybe they use our vulnerabilities against us or in the process take something from us. What do you say to the heart of someone who has experienced betrayal? And have you, have you ever experienced a time in your life when you felt that happen? Well, I'm sure that I have, 100% sure. You know, I... Again, I would say I'm really sorry that that happened. Um, I know that that is a cost uh, to what we're doing here, and I believe that it it will happen to everybody in their lifetimes. The reason it will happen to everyone, Margaret, is because we are all sinful people. We are <laughs> in our flesh nature. We want whatever we want, when we want it, how we want it, no matter who's in the way. And so I think that a couple of things that we need to remember is that there is that cost. There is that possibility, 100%. Um, number one is that we serve a Savior who is faithful. He's faithful to us in that in that sorrow. He's faithful to us in that problem. He's faithful to us in that betrayal. Um, and so I think that it's something that we have to know can happen and will happen. One of the things that I think is really important as receivers of someone's um, confession, vulnerability, struggle as a receiver of that is that we are not shocked by that, you know, that we're not shocked by what they're telling us. Uh, sin is it's hard. It's awful. Struggles, they hurt people. People get in the line of fire all the time. And so there is a um, there is a kind of anger towards sin and anger towards the issue. But for us to be shocked by it, I think it puts up this wall between people. And so I think sometimes the betrayal, we can feel betrayed when we talk about our struggles, when the other person reacts with the idea of, I'm so shocked that that could happen, that either it's not a safe place or they go and tell what you've shared with them, or they just become distant now. They cannot handle what you brought to the table. That's something that I see, that I, that I hear of often is someone brings someone to the table. The person that receives it does not understand how to handle it. And so they just retreat and they just become a friend no longer. And so I think it's, um, I think it's a struggle. I think it's worth fighting for. I can tell you that. I think it's worth fighting for. I think it's worth fighting to share again. I think it's worth fighting for friendships. And so if that's happened to you, I'm sorry. We've probably all done that to someone, maybe on purpose, maybe non-intentional, just because we were not sure of how to handle the weight of what was brought before us. And so there's an understanding there that I get, but also just to encourage you that it's worth trying again. It's worth trying again. And that's what Jesus did. You know, there was one betrayer and when everybody else would have thrown in the towel, he actually picked up the towel and washed Judas's feet. It's beautiful. Now, something that we always do here on the Joycast before we conclude is we ask our guests for their favorite recipe or dish. And I want to hear what you're cooking up at your house. 
Okay. Well, first you need to know that I'm actually not the cook at my house. And so I had to like look deep and hard to figure out something to tell you because my husband cooks almost all of our meals. Can you even believe it? It's awesome. It's awesome. But I will tell you this. This is a recipe that I brought to him and he helped me with it. And so I found a recipe forever ago on chicken noodle soup. And I really like chicken noodle soup. But Aaron kind of helped me make it better. (laughs) And so that's what he does. And so we have something that I like to make called chicken zoodle salsa soup. And the zoodle is because we eat gluten-free sometimes at our house. And so it's those zucchini spirals that you know you can buy at the store. Or if you're really into cooking, you can make your own. Um, And so that's part, that is the noodle part of this soup. But we also put homemade salsa in it to kind of spice it up a little bit. And so there's nothing like soup in the winter. I'll tell you that much. And uh, I love this soup so much. I just want to let you know, we are making that soup. I read that recipe and I just, oh, it's healthy, delicious. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. And okay, I, you'll have to tell me how it goes. You got it. You got it. And I know our listeners are going to be excited too. And the good news for you guys is that we have Jamie's full recipe. And all you need to do is log on to margaretfeinberg.com forward slash joycast. And you're not just going to get the full recipe. You're going to get all the show notes and ways to connect with Jamie through a writing, speaking, and more. Jamie, thank you so much for being with us on the Joycast. Thank you, Margaret. Thanks for listening to this edition of The Joycast. If you've enjoyed today's conversation and you'd like to dive deeper into the unexpected joys awaiting you around your table, check out my new book and Bible study, Taste and See, Discovering God Among Butchers, Bakers, and Fresh Food Makers. These resources will help you savor your life, nourish your friendships, and embark on your greatest faith adventure. You can purchase them at your favorite retailer or margaretfeinbergstore.com. If you do, reach out to me on social media or my website and let me know what you think. Until we meet again, bon appetit and amen.